Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. And uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to look at a couple verses there before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we'll be starting verse 23, and we'll go to verse 26 for the main part of uh, our sermon this morning. Uh, I just I do want to welcome a few people here. We've got our coaches from West Bladen, so thank you for coming. Uh, I'm sorry about the rain out. Uh, I, I should Peggy should have warned you that uh, quite often when we feed the football team, there's some weird coincidence that it rains out. So, sorry, but we will. We prayed for a win. We'll keep praying for a win uh, on Monday. We have a game Monday, right? All right. So. Uh, but I'm so glad you were able to join us. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. This is the, the quintessential communion passage for us who live in the New Testament age of the church. Um, as Baptists, as people of the book, that's what we like to call ourselves. We celebrate two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. And Jesus celebrated this ordinance at the Last Supper. We can read about that in the gospel accounts. He celebrated it with his disciples. Uh, on the eve of his sacrificial death and atonement. And that is why we've been singing about his sacrifice for us. The the, um, celebration, this worship event we're about to partake in and participate in together is is primarily just a recollection uh, of what he did for us. But there's a couple of other aspects too I'd like to look at today. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, some of you might listen to him on the radio or had listened to him. He said, this is the highest expression and the holiest experience of Christian worship. It is really something special. And I want to make it that this morning as much as possible. And I want you to make it that as much as possible. Uh, There are times in my life as a believer, I've come to this worship celebration and um, I, I felt like maybe I was just going through the motions if you can understand what I might be saying. And, and I had to focus in and be particular and uh, trying to focus my mind on really what God's designed here. Because this is a designed, uh, divinely designed worship event. A lot of things we do, we, we always get from God's word, but Jesus actually like instituted and, and initiated this type of worship. So it's something very special. It's a Christian celebration. It is. It's from our Savior. It's a gift from him for the saved. For those who at some point in their lives have trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is in his person, they've trusted that he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and his work, that he died on the cross for your sins. And and I hope you've done that. This is a gift from him to you who have done that. At some point in your life, you said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, just like we've heard about in the video and we sung about uh, today. And so uh, it is a special, precious worship event Uh, that glorifies God and it gives us grace. That's really the thing. Communion is a gift of grace. And I think there's three ways. We'll look at those this morning, but let's read it. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. 
This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Won't you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as we uh, look into your word and see what you have for us here in regard to uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate uh, your intent here. Uh, I pray that he would transform our hearts. I pray that he would convict us of sin, that we might confess and repent of it. And then, Lord, as we celebrate this, I pray that we would see the gifts of grace you've given to us in this uh, special time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, it is a gift of grace. Communion is. Uh, it's a gift of not saving grace. We are only saved one way, uh, by God's grace through faith in what Jesus has done. But like baptism, like um, church, all right, like Bible study, like personal and private and public and corporate worship, like prayer, like Christian service, these are all ways that we receive not saving grace, but sustaining grace. All right? Anytime we obey Christ in all those different ways, all right, we are recipients of gift from him, and that gift is, is grace. The Lord's Supper or communion uh, provides us with sustaining grace because, first of all, it points back to the cross. I mean, that is really the primary thing that it does. There's, it, it's easy to see that in the bread. At, right, that symbolizes his body, and in the cup, which symbolizes his blood that was shed for us. Uh, not just a church custom, right? This is a divinely designed form of worship from our Savior. John 6, 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So it's not the eating of this bread that saves us. Um, it's the eating of this bread that symbolizes what has already taken place. That at some point in our lives, uh, we can celebrate this because we have trusted in Christ the Savior and we have taken that living bread, uh, who is Jesus Christ, to us. Much like baptism being a symbol of what had happened, that we, were, uh, we died, we were buried, we were resurrected with Christ when we came to faith in him. Much like this wedding ring is a symbol of my marriage. If I, I'm getting chubby. Uh, if I take it off... If I take it off, am I still married? I'm still married. All right, it's, just, it's a symbol. It's a powerful symbol. Got a lot of, you know, metaphors just in that and, you know, unending thing. And so does this, all right? This isn't, a, this isn't a saving grace thing, but this is a very powerful sustaining grace thing, and that's why Jesus gave it to us. His bread, his body uh, symbolized here. The cup, his blood is symbolized here. We just read about that. And in Colossians 1, 20 and 21, Paul tells the church there, he says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus Christ, and to uh, reconcile everything to himself, to God, by making peace through the blood of the cross. And so when we drink this cup, we, we are reminded of the blood that was shed for us and that it is what made peace. Uh, and when we trusted Christ as Savior, we actually appropriated that peace that he made available uh, to us. And, um, but before that, we weren't at peace. We weren't at peace with God. We had no hope of that. We, we probably had no hope of peace with each other. But through the blood of Christ and through the body of Christ broken for us and sacrificed for us, we are now reconciled to God. Isn't that a wonderful and beautiful thing? A relationship with God. You know, the Lord's Supper, is it's a gift of grace in that 
uh, it points back to the cross and to what Jesus did for us in his coming and his death and his resurrection for you and I. But the Lord's Supper or communion also provides us with sustaining grace because it points not just back to the cross, but here, here to his church. We celebrate this together, right? Uh, communion is not a uh, thing designed for just you to do by yourself and with the Lord, all right? The, the design is that we do this together. We, we've read that. I mean, the, the disciples ate together with Jesus. They were celebrating a Passover as when that Passover meal now transitioned into what we call the Lord's Supper. And the first thing we see is our, our union and salvation in this uniquely corporate form of worship. In 1 Peter last week, chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, we rem- were reminded that we are living stones that are built up into a spiritual house. Here's the spiritual house, but it's full of individual people, beautiful individual people who've been saved by God's grace. Uh, We are a holy priesthood to serve him. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people to offer up praises to him. And we'll do that this morning by participating in this. We'll continue this worship that we've already experienced uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, just one chapter earlier, 16 and 17, uh, Paul tells the church there, the cup, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Well, of course, we understand this. But verse 17 says, for we being many are one bread. For we, we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. All right, and so we understand clearly that the, the bread here symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken for us, but is there any other uh, references in Scripture to the body of Christ? Sure, and what is, what is, what is it? What is the body? Yeah, the church. The church is the body of Christ, All right? And so we celebrate this. We're called to remember not just the cross where he sacrificed for us, but this beautiful gift of grace he has given us in an assembly of believers, Right, who are to live out his mission and to live in love toward one each other or to, toward one another. So we see our union and salvation here. Uh, another thing we see is our union and submission. First Peter 3 8, we'll get there in about a week or two, but it says, Now all of you should be like minded and sympathetic. You should love believers and be compassionate and humble. Ephesians, Paul tells the church there, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Ephesians 5 21. All right, and so here's the Corinthians problem. We didn't read the whole passage here, but if we look at 1 Corinthians 11 and the, about five or six verses before verse 23, starting in verse 17, Paul had to tell the Corinthian church, hey, I'm not, I'm not pleased with how you're doing communion and what's going on at your church. In verse 18, he says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. That's like such a contrast in those verse, that verse right there. It says you come together, but there's divisions. Those are completely opposite terms, right? And so in verse 19, he says, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. He's saying this is a bad thing, but at least it's showing uh, there's truth. It gives us the opportunity to see truth. And so here it is, verse 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You know what? You might be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, it might be in the bulletin. It might be on the church calendar. It might be out on the sign. It's not the Lord's Supper, <laughs> not when you're doing what you're doing. You can call it whatever you want. And this is what was going on there. They, they did a things a little bit different than us at that time. They would have a, a covered dish dinner type of thing, right, an agape love feast. 
But the problem was there was rich people and there was poor people, and the rich people would bring in their food and they would sit down. They didn't have one big table like we have, right? They'd sit down, they'd eat their food, and the poor people had whatever they brought in or nothing. And then they'd go and celebrate communion. This symbolizes what Christ did for us and symbolizes a unity in this gift of church he had given us. And he's like, you're missing the point here. So when you, when you did that, and then you come into the Lord's Supper, or what you refer to as the Lord's Supper, it, you're having bread, you're having a cup, but it's not the Lord's Supper, right? And so there's supposed to be a, a unity, not just in our salvation, but in our submission to each other. That's why Paul tells us this, and that's why he was addressing this to the Corinthian church. And he goes in verse 23 to 26 and lays out very specifically what it is supposed to look like. I want you to notice, and when we celebrate this in a couple of minutes, I want you to notice the reason in our ritual. Please don't, don't just, yeah, we know the cup symbolizes the blood, the bread, the body. But even in little things, all right, how we do it as Baptists, your deacons are going to come up here, and they're going to then take the bread and the cup, and they're going to serve you, right, in a form of submission to you. You're not going to come up and receive it from a clergy member, all right? They're going to serve you, and then they're going to come up, and I'm going to serve them. There, there's reason in our little ritual here, because that is a teaching. We have a visible sermon, just like baptism, what's going to go on here. We have a, you're getting two sermons today, right? So I'm going to try to keep mine short, but um, you, you get two. And so notice these little nuances that are going to take place um, in this beautiful thing God's designed. You know, um, it says here in verse 24, and he, and when he had given thanks, he break it and he said, take, eat this to my body. And the gospel says he, he took it, he blessed it, he took it, he break it, he gave it. He did that figuratively that night, and then the next day he did that quite literally. He took it, and he break it, and he gave it for you and I. All right, and that's what we are called to do. Uh, we serve this way because it's not just a union in salvation, a union in submission, but it's also a union in service. You know, what would you do if today was your last day, if you found that out? I often ask our teenagers this, right? And so they usually, there's things like, we might have thought about this, we have a bucket list, things that we want to do, places we want to go. Let me tell you what Jesus did on, on his last day, and I'll just read this quickly for you. But in, in John uh, 13, we find out in verses 1 to 9 what he did. John 13, in verse 4, it says, He rises from supper after having this Lord's Supper meal and laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. In verse 12, John 13, 12, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And so we have a union in service, in our union in submission, in our union in salvation, a union in service, because this is what Jesus did. His last day here, he wanted to leave us with something that we'd remember. And it's that we are to serve each other. That's why we are saved, and to serve him by serving each other. That's who he is. He is the great giver. We are the ones who receive the gifts. He is a great benefactor, and we are his beneficiaries. And we honor him most when we see him as that. And when we come to him and say, I need more. <laughs> I need this that you've given me. I need you, right? 
it's who he's always going to be. In Luke 12, 37, Jesus talks about his return, and this is what he says. It's kind of startling to me. This is what he says. He says in Luke 12, 37, those slaves the master will find alert when he comes will be blessed. I assure you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, and come and serve them. That's what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. Right? It's who he is. He did that for his disciples. He lived a life of service to his disciples. He died in service to his disciples. On this last night before his death, he served them. And he gave us this picture of not just our salvation, but also our service to each other. And when he comes back, he has promised to serve us because that's who he is. And that's how he's glorified. And that gives us a call to do the same for each other. But it, that Luke 12, 37 passage about him doing that when he returns reminds us that the Lord's Supper or communion, it's not just a gift of grace because it points back to the cross or here to the church. But here's the part I love most. It points forward to his coming because he's coming again. Amen. All right. In verse 26, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes because he's coming back. He is, and because we're doing this today, the very fact that we're doing this today and until he comes back is, is the reason is he isn't back yet. And so every time we do this, we're reminded it could be, I don't I mean, we may not get to this. We may not get to this, right? He could come back this morning before we even celebrate. But it's a beautiful reminder that he's coming back, and there's such power in that. Peter's already called us to focus on that. He's going to continue to do it as we uh, continue our study in the next upcoming weeks. The Lord's Supper points forward to his coming, and we know his purpose in his first coming. Right? In 1 John 3, verse 5, it says that you know he was revealed so that he might take away sins. That's why he came. He came to die. In verse 8, it says the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, that he might destroy the devil's works. Well, the devil's work was sin, and the death that resulted from it was an inevitable consequence, not just our physical death, but also our spiritual death. And Jesus Christ destroyed that. He destroyed it, and I'm so thankful for that. And so when he comes again, though, this time, in his second advent, this is our proclamation of it. Paul's saying, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you proclaim his death till he comes. And so this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to proclaim that one day, there's going to be a Revelation 21, 3 to 5. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the phone. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. That's going to happen one day. And we celebrate this this morning with an eye toward that, with the reminder, not just back, not just here, but forward, that he's coming again. And that's what we celebrate. As we celebrate this morning, uh, this gift of communion in these three different ways, right, won't you focus your mind on his gift of grace, the cross, and his church, and his coming? All right, Tommy's going to come, and we're going to have a, a time of invitation. The reason for that is if we look at verses 27 to 30, it talks about, in verse 27, sometimes um, some of the people in Corinth were drinking unworthily. They were eating the Lord's Supper unworthily. And this is really what it means to do that. It just means that there's sin in my life that I haven't confessed. All right, I'm coming to the Lord's table with a careless attitude or a calloused attitude. And so anytime that we celebrate this beautiful gift from him in all those different ways, there needs to be a time of introspection. Uh, 
that, that we're right with him. And I pray that as God leads you, you uh, respond however that is. You might need to come to the altar. You might need to just do it there. Remember this, as a believer, you don't come to court. You're not going before a judge. You're coming home to a loving father. All right, so before we celebrate this meal together, uh, I'd ask you to, uh, however God's moving in your life, all right, make sure you are right with him before we celebrate this beautiful gift of grace this morning.